Welcome to another episode of The Student Manager. It's Fonger News, Michael Fong. We are talking to another principal. That's right. John Durante is principal of Syotset. I butchered it already. Syotset High School in Long Island, New York. Syotset. Syotset. See, I'm a West Coaster, you're East Coaster. Most of my audience and listeners are from the West Coast, so it's going to be a good episode where they can pick up and learn from yourself. And we're going to get into why you're even on this podcast because, yes, <laughs> you're a principal, but I found you because I'm always trying to do research on helping high school students and parents with the college search admission process. And you have a podcast, it's called the College Admissions Process Podcast. So let's get into, yes, you're a principal, but how did you start this college admissions process podcast? Well, we appreciate that, Mike, and thank you so much for having me. And first of all, I want to congratulate you on your awesome podcast. I actually listened to a couple episodes, and I think you do an awesome job, and it is truly an honor and pleasure for being here today. So again, thank you so much. So although I've been at Syosset High School now for 30 years, I've been the principal for the last 14 years, I actually started the College Admissions Process podcast after helping my own two daughters through the process as a parent. Basically, I had one student who was fairly academic. She was holding her own, doing very well. And I had another student who had an IEP, an individualized education plan while in high school. So going through it as a parent with both of my daughters, I felt the stresses that a lot of parents feel out there, not knowing what to ask, thinking, is it okay to reach out to a representative? Is it going to put my daughter on a bad list? And long story short, the representatives were so good to me and so good to my daughter. They really did help us through the process. Both daughters are doing just fine. They found their fit school, as we say. And I realized that there's a lot of parents that could probably benefit from having, having a podcast episode where each one is dedicated to a director of admissions or an admissions counselor from schools throughout the country and beyond, because I do some international schools as well, where they talk about their schools. They give insight into their application review process, and then they end on the same last question, which is always, what are your top three pieces of advice you would provide students going through the process and their parents? And so this idea was born. A couple of the reps that I had been working with said, absolutely, I'm all in. I would love to do it. And that's when I panicked because at that point in time, I didn't know how to record, how to edit, how to get it on Apple, Spotify, and all of that. And as of today, we have 185 episodes live. I release every week with multiple episodes scheduled to be recorded. And it's been nothing less but exciting and outstanding for me as I'm getting to help so many students and their parents as they navigate through this process, Mike. That's excellent, John. And for those that are listening, my audience followers, I was able to find John Durante. It's easy on either Podbean or you go on Spotify or Apple. And you all know me when I do my walks, this is when I do my research, I was looking up college admission podcasts right? Now, my podcast talks about real raw stories and experience from the student perspective. And at this time, as we are in February, students are getting their acceptance letters or the rejection letters, what to do, what not to do. We talked about let, uh, letter of continued interest and you hit on it too. Should I reach out to my regional missions counselors or do you go a step further? Do you reach out to the missions counselors? Talk about maybe should I I'm debating between this school and this school. Is there any more financial assistance that you can provide, et cetera? And that's why I wanted to bring you on because you have had admission counselors on your podcast. You asked the tough questions. So I'm going to get to, if I was listening to this podcast and, and I don't want to go to all 185 of your episodes and maybe, you know, I could browse through them and look at specific admission counselors. What's the theme? What's the one thing that kind of stands out that you can share with my audience and listeners? Well, I appreciate that question. And there are so many things that stand out. But for the matter of time here, Mike, I'll just give you a couple of nuggets if you don't mind. So the main takeaway for me are two main themes. Number one, 
during the application process, I want everyone to be mindful of the things that you control, but then understand that there are things that you don't control, such as institutional priorities. I just interviewed the director of admissions, Jason McGrath from UNC. And UNC, if you read their mission statement, and that's a, a thing that a lot of people don't do, and I recommend that you do read the mission statement to any school that you're intending on applying to, and I'll explain more about that later. But in their mission statement, they talk about wanting to serve the great people of the state of North Carolina. Why, did I, why do I mention that? Because there's a lot of schools, I'm from New York, there's a lot of students, I should say, that want to apply to a school like UNC. And what I learned from Jason is that they are mandated to only accept 18% of their students from out of state. So that's one example of an institutional priority that people need to be made aware of. And there's many more, and we'll you know expand upon that a little later. But I want you to know that because people get rejected, they get waitlisted, they get deferred, and they think, what did I do wrong? Was it my essay? Maybe it was that B plus in that math class in 10th grade. And, you know, really what you need to know is that there are things that you don't control, such as these institutional priorities. So just be aware of that. But then there are things that you do control. And I mention this because it's very important to understand that the application is a marketing package. And each piece is very specific in terms of what the admissions reps are looking for. And you as an applicant have to be mindful of what each piece represents. Try not to repeat what's in one part on other parts so that you could create this marketing package, which, you know, for students that are 17 years old, this is not something that's so natural to them. They don't really have to do this, generally speaking. So what am I talking about? You have three years, right, in ninth, 10th, 11th grade, really, and sometimes students take high school courses in eighth grade to create this thing we call the transcript. That's the number one piece in terms of giving the admissions representative the idea of whether or not you could handle the academic course load on their campus. So they look at that transcript for that reason. They want to see, first of all, what was available to you, which they, they know by having relationships with your school counselors, but they look at a thing called the school profile to see, is your school an IB court, uh, school? Does your school offer AP? How many? Is there a limit to how many you can take? So they become really familiar with your individual school and based on what was available to you, they want to see by looking at that transcript over the four years, did you take advantage of what was available to you? Then there's the activity sheet. Obviously, what have you done outside of the classroom? Then obviously there's the essay. And I won't go on and on, but what I'll say about the essay is it's very important not to just repeat what's on your transcript and what's on your activity sheet in the essay. That would be a missed opportunity, Mike, right? So that's the idea. That's the one big takeaway that every single part of this marketing package, the application, is separate and distinct in terms of what the admissions reps are looking for. And it's very important to be mindful of that so that you're building upon each piece. You said that so crystal clear in terms of the rigor, the academics, and the transcript, because when they're getting those applications and I talk to students and I talk to parents all the time, they're, that's the first piece they're going to see. But then you mentioned, and we're going to get into this, the essay, right? I always talk to students and parents about what not to write about, right? You don't want to write, uh, write about that winning goal, <laughs> ASB, or that paid trip out of the country to go serve somebody, right? And, and I've asked counselors, tell me the best essay you've read. And I like to just hear different stories. So we're going to get into it about the essays because they look at a holistic approach. Right. right? I've talked to mission counselors, one specifically at the University of Wisconsin. He was talking to these students about what to write about. Here's what's going to capture their eye, right? Be yourself. And they know when these students use AI. So, right, you're probably <laughs> going to say, do not use AI. Do not use your artificial Snapchat GPT because- they want you to be yourself. They'll know when your parents help write it. They'll know when a counselor helps write it. So let's talk about the essay and we could take it in different parts. So first, just the high level approach. What do you hear from the mission counselors on the essay? Absolutely. First, I want to point out two different schools that I interviewed. It was Johns Hopkins University and of course, Hamilton up in uh, New York. 
So both of them have on their website a portion regarding the essays called Essays That Worked. So what that means is that students that were actually accepted, they were asked if both schools asked if, if they could have their essays available on these portions of their websites. And so if the student says yes, you could see in John Hopkins, they have, um, you know, multiple essays from this past year, the year before. I think it goes back about five years. So does Hamilton College. So that's something that I share with a lot of my listeners. If you want to just get a free resource, free ideas in terms of essays that worked, look at Johns Hopkins and Hamilton College's websites for that. So you have to look at it from the perspective of the admissions rep. In a given day, they might read 40 to 50 essays. And so you don't want to be redundant or write about something that everybody writes about. And the two themes that come up constantly in my episodes are sports injuries, but also writing about a grandparent. And what the reps will say is that we love to hear about the grandparent. They seem really excited, but we're not trying to admit the grandparent. We want to admit the student. So they learned everything about your grandparent, but they learned nothing new about you. That's a missed opportunity. Someone that writes about a sports injury, maybe you talk about the fact that you love soccer, you got injured, and soccer was over for you. And that's it right? And so there's nothing in terms of how did you reflect? What was your thought process? What were the questions that you asked yourself? How did you pivot? You know, how is that going to teach them more about you if all over your activity sheet, you're talking about the fact that you love soccer? So I remember interviewing Michael Cameron. He's the director of admissions at uh, RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design. An example that he gave was actually quite unique. He talked about a student that went to Krispy Kreme Donuts, right? and would watch the donuts actually being made. And there was this one donut, Mike, that came out and it was not quite like the others. And so it was placed aside. And this kid wrote about how he or she, I don't remember, but how they wanted to have that specific donut. And they gave it to her. And I'm gonna say she, but I don't remember if it was a a female or a male, but the, the point is, is that they gave it a donut, you know, she ate it, she enjoyed it. And her whole essay, was about how even though that donut was a little different, you know, it still contributed. In other words, they used that example to talk about themselves, which was, was, was a really clever idea. Now, think about it. If you're an admissions rep where you're reviewing 50 essays a day, you don't want to keep hearing about, you know, the sports injury, the family member, what have you. But all of a sudden, if there's something like that about a Krispy Kreme donut, who would have ever thought of it? All of a sudden, you pique their interest. And it could only help you, right? It's not a guarantee that you're going to be accepted, but it could only help you. But definitely being mindful, as I said earlier, whatever it is that you write about, how did you reflect upon it? What was your thought process? How did you have to pivot? And ultimately, how did it create who you are today and who you intend to continue to be once you're on whichever campus is uh, smart enough to accept you? Absolutely. I'm going to add that to my favorite essay topic, <laughs> the Krispy Kreme donut. For those of you listening, if you go back to one of my earlier podcasts, a counselor talked about it was a piece of bacon, right? <laughs> the way they cooked the bacon. So kind of like, and it's interesting, John, a lot of my guests that are on my podcast, I've been doing this for four years, have now either in their senior year or they have graduated. Right. And now they're coming to me or the parents are coming to me and we're talking about how to get a job, right? First, it was how to get into college, but how to get a job, how to inter- intern or how to interview, what to say, what not to say. So why I'm saying this is because the Krispy Kreme donut essay or the baking <laughs> essay, it's not necessarily what the essay is on, but it's how you write it and how you communicate it because that college admissions, you're absolutely right. They sit and they read and they read and they read. And I always talk about this to students and when they are going to college or getting a job, how can you separate yourself? How can you stand apart? How can you make yourself look different from everybody else? So that's great advice on the essay. Along with the essay, I know a lot of students and parents talk about, you know, the essay or, you know, during our, my son's years, he's a senior right now, he was going through COVID. So they did test optional. They didn't go through the ACT. They didn't go through the SAT. And fortunately, he got into every school except two. And I think if he would have taken 
the ACT or SAT? I don't know. So I would love to get your take because I have two older daughters, one's a senior at Wisconsin, the other graduated from University of Washington, highly academic schools where they needed high ACT scores, high SAT scores. And it wasn't even Ivy League. It wasn't even Michigan, Vanderbilt, Texas, but you needed to be like that three, nine unweighted. So what is your take and process on the ACT, SAT testing? And what's your recommendation to students as well as parents out there? Absolutely. And again, based on 185 episodes that are live and about another 20 that have been recorded and in the process of being edited, number one, absolutely prepare for it. Study for both the ACT, SAT. My daughters did both. For whatever reason, they did a little better on the ACT, each of them. And so that's what we you know, use as a reference. But that's my first piece of advice. Definitely prepare and take it the first time, take it again. If you fall within a school's mid 50%, or if you're lucky enough to be in that top 25%, obviously submit your score. In other words, if you're in that range and it's going to add to your overall marketing package, certainly submit the score. The other thing that I want to caution students and parents about is that when you're looking at the mid 50% today, they're skewed. They're a lot higher than they were five years ago, 10 years ago, and what have you, because nowadays the only students that are submitting are those students that are scoring well. So don't get discouraged, students. Don't get discouraged when you see a school whose mid-50 is, is, is really high and you think you can't reach it. Remember that only students that scored in those ranges are submitting. And I'm happy to report that most schools, most schools, and I've again, I have 185 episodes live as of today, are reporting that it's 50-50 when I ask the question, okay, you say you test optional. I want to know not only how many students submitted applications without test scores, but more importantly, how many students were admitted without submitting test scores. And most schools are reporting 50-50. Some of your more academic schools are, I would say, 60-40. You know, and then, of course, there's the Dartmouths of the world who just recently announced that they're going back to requiring it. So, you know, just be mindful of that, that when a school says that they are, in fact, test optional, they are, in fact, test optional. But again, if you could take the test and score well enough where it's going to help your overall application, by all means, submit it. You know, And then, of course, in the great state of California, you know that the UC system is test blind. There are states such as Florida where they're mandated to require that you submit a test score. So it's very important to be very familiar with all of the different schools that you're applying to. And one other thing that I'll add, Mike, is that if a school says that they're test optional, that's great. They mean it if they say it. But be aware if you're applying to programs that are a little bit more competitive, for example, engineering, nursing, so if you're applying to their general pool, right, to their in, within their general application pool, undeclared, you might not have to submit a test score because they're test optional. However, there are schools where for engineering, for example, they do require test scores. So it's very important to just be mindful of those little nuances. Excellent. Excellent advice. Excellent feedback. With all your episodes and some of the mission counselors uh, that you're talking to, And again, most of my audience here is in Southern California, and it's so hard to get into UC schools. They're applying out of state. They're applying out of state, even if they're 3-9 unweighted, 4-0 unweighted. So talk to me some of the schools that, and maybe I'll bring them up, and then you kind of share your advice if you remember if you've had this admission counselors on. So a lot of students, you mentioned one, North Carolina, and I told students. And I told parents, they have to accept a specific amount in the state of North Carolina. But if you like North Carolina, let's look at University of Virginia. If you like University of Virginia, how about maybe if you're on the smarter end, University of Michigan, University of Texas, Tulane University, a phenomenal university that the results like 13% acceptance rate, but I still tell students, you should still apply there, right? So Talk to me in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is another big popular school out here in Southern California that people are gravitating to. We call Wisconsin when my daughter got accepted. She got rejected from Michigan. Wisconsin people say they are the Michigan rejects. Right? And then you go down to Indiana 
Indiana goes, oh, we're the Wisconsin rejects. Wow. It's like a little trickle down effect. And they have fun with it. And these students I'm talking to, they're like, ah, screw Michigan. Forget them. We're the best. And every school you go to, they're like, oh, I got rejected from there, right? It's like Michigan State, Michigan, Colorado, Colorado State. So talk to me about some of your favorite episodes or some counselors. I mentioned some schools because people are gravitating to like the Tennessees, the Georgia, the SECs, but they don't know how they're they're able to get in because I've talked to them about like Auburn and Ole Miss. Those schools used to be easy to get into. <laughs> all right. So you're laughing, you're chuckling. I think you know where I'm going with this. So I'm going to let you take the floor and talk a little bit about some of these schools that my audience is applying to and trying to get in. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm happy to say that of all the schools that you mentioned, and you mentioned a lot, I have done an episode with all of them except for Ole Miss. So if anybody from Ole Miss is out there, I'm going to be emailing you. We're going to try to get Ole Miss on the uh, on the podcast. So, you know, you, you raise great points. And, you know, this is really what people need to understand about the process. You know, I, I interviewed Jeff Salingo, you know, who's a, a fantastic journalist. He wrote the book, Who Gets In and Why?, and one of the, my favorite questions that I asked Jeff was exactly that. Like, you know, what's the biggest misconception, you know, that people have about the college admissions process? And his answer was was uh, right on point. And I loved it because it was so honest. He said, you know, he said the biggest misconception is that everybody thinks that the college admissions process is about the students. And he said, that's absolutely not true. He said, what it's about is the institutions, the institutional priorities, and that's what people need to be aware of. And that's what I was getting at, you know, earlier when I talked about the things you control and the things that you don't control. You know, I've seen students that have gotten into, you know, I won't mention names, but they got into two Ivy League schools. True story. But there was another Ivy League school that the person wanted to get into. The father had attended that school. And that was the one that this particular kid really wanted. And ultimately, it didn't happen. Right. Yet, they were <laughs> admitted to two of the most highly academic schools in the world. So why does that happen? And again, I think it's people need to understand it's the things you control. So make sure you're taking initiatives inside the classroom. Make sure you're adding to the conversations. Make sure that you're a leader outside of the classroom, whether it's with your co-curricular activities, whether it's holding a job. That's something that the reps talk about. If you have a job, mention it. But I think people really need to be mindful of what Jeff said, Jeff Salingo said in our episode, which is it's not about the student from the college's perspective, believe it or not. He talks about the institutional priorities. We talked about UNC that can only offer 18%. Jeff talked about sometimes it's as serious as something as, look, the college needs more students that could actually pay the full bill. Sometimes it's as silly as, well, we need a third baseman for the baseball team and anything and everything in between. And that's the problem because we don't know what those things are. So every year you'll get a kid who is a phenomenal student, like the one that I just mentioned, gets into some great schools. And yet can't get into this one school because of the institutional priorities. Maybe didn't want any more students from the state of New York, which is where we're from. Maybe they wanted someone that, you know, could pay full tuition. Maybe they wanted more people in a specific major. You never know. All right. So that's just something that we need to be mindful of. And if and when you do get rejected, you know, stop thinking that it's something that you did. You know, if you take the time to listen to conversations like this and go to college fairs and talk to reps and do the visits whenever you can, and you're mindful of putting together the best possible essay, marketing package, that application, you know, at some point you have to hit submit. And again, it's tough, but focus on what you control and then the many things that you don't control. I hope I answered your question, Mike. I'm sorry for, for babbling a little there. <laughs> you did. And John, you you stated what happens in life, what you can control and what you right. can't control. I always just say it's the uncontrollables. You right. do what you do. And I tell students a pair of this all the time. Everything works out. Everything will always work out. My son's going through the process right now. There's three institutions he's looking into. And we just got back from visiting, right? I said, Indiana University, Miami of Ohio. He loved both of them. Miami of Ohio moved up on, on his list. We were sitting down and we're just reviewing some stuff. And he said, well, if I go to 
Colorado, I'm going to think about, well, what if I would have gone to High Point? What if I would have gone to <laughs> Miami? And then he goes, if I'm at High Point, I'm going to say, well, what if I would go to Colorado? I go, you can't think like that. You go with your gut, you make your decision. And once you make that decision, you stick with that decision. And even when you want to transfer, you stick it out at least for one whole year, because we know so many students that after the first two weeks, first month, first, second month before Thanksgiving and Christmas, they want to come home. They're homesick. That's life. Suck it up. Right. Stick it out. Exactly. So I want to talk about a couple things because now students are getting accepted and they're also getting rejected or deferred. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about letters of continued interest, right? Do you think they work? And if so, how do you recommend students approach that? Because I did a little episode on letters of continued interest and what to say, what not to say, right? You don't want to say I'm disappointed. Here is the other schools I'm looking into or got into. You want to be first grateful and very thankful. Thank you for even me being considered being deferred, but here's what I've done, right? My fall semester, here's my grades you can see on parchment. But what other recommendations, advice can you give on letters of continued interest? And then we'll go into letters of recommendation. Absolutely. You know, when you defer students, it doesn't mean a no. It means not yet and maybe later. So as Mike indicated, you want to remain professional. You want to thank them. And frankly, number one, follow whatever directions they give you. You know, many times these days when you're deferred, you have to indicate within the school's portal that you are interested in staying on the deferral list. So follow their advice. Whatever it is that they ask you to do, do it. Nothing more, nothing less. But the other piece of advice that I would give you is if there's anything new that happened since you submitted your application, and hopefully there is, whether it's an initiative that you took on, maybe you got an award, it's very important to reach out for things like that. So if you're going to reach out and repeat the fact that, you know, you were a a varsity player for two different sports and they already know that, you're really not helping your case, you know, but if all of a sudden, you know, you got the coaches award this year or you were made team captain or whatever, you know, that is something that, you know, you should definitely indicate anything new, you know, large or not so large, but anything new from your application, you know, from my perspective, that's the right balance, right? So that you're not, you know, upset, like you said, Mike, and talking about all the other schools, maybe talking about the school that accepted you and gave you a financial aid package. They really don't want to hear that. And that's not going to help you. But again, to Mike's point, remaining professional, letting them know that you definitely want to go there, Perhaps even saying, if I'm accepted, I will attend. But also, again, what I'm adding to that is anything new. In fact, anytime, you know, when we select a valedictorian, salutatorian, first thing we say is congratulations, amazing, you know. And then I ask, have you been accepted to college? And if they tell me that they've been deferred, they're waitlisted, they're still, you know, waiting on whatever, I say, the first thing you need to do is send a letter. And just let them know about this new accolade. And in many of the cases, you know, I'll write the letter on their behalf as well as a supplemental to be added to the application. So that's the best advice that I could give in terms of that. Good advice. John, let's go to letters of recommendation because I know my hometown. I'm going to give him a shout out. Sean Bolton, principal of Newport Harbor High (laughs) School. A lot of my audience and followers listen to him. He writes letters of recommendations to admission counselors for schools. And I know he's helped. I don't know. Well, let's, I'm going to ask you, do they really help? I'm talking to a a big time school like University of Michigan, University of Texas, maybe this kid, because here, let me just kind of lay the groundwork here in Southern California. The community loves sweatshirt brands. They love UCLA. (laughs) They love USC. They love Texas. They love Michigan. They love the Ivy Leagues. Now their kid Ironically, they don't know the difference between, not all, but some of them don't know the difference between an unweighted and weighted GPA. So I always will say, what's your unweighted GPA? And they'll say 4.1. I'm like, uh, that's weighted. So, <laughs> so these parents are like, well, my kid needs to be here. They need to be here. Can you write a letter of recommendation? So let's talk about letter rec- recommendations. Absolutely. When do they work? When do they not work? How do you approach it? 
Absolutely. And I want to shout out, I think you said his name was Sean, to the high school principal out there on the West Coast. Hello from the East Coast. And uh, yeah, they, they do work. However, if your transcript is not strong and your activity sheet is not strong, they're really not going to accept you because you have a great letter of recommendation from somebody. The first two things, the first thing that the colleges look for is that number one, you can handle the work once you're on their campus. And that's the transcript, right? Then after all of that, they do want to see what kind of a community member you're going to be. So they will look at the activity sheet. Okay. So everything else kind of comes after. All right. The letter of recommendation, it's someone else's voice about you. It can help add if to the overall application, if done correctly, I'll give you an example of one letter that I wrote that I feel is a, is a good example of something that will add to a student's marketing package. A student comes into my office. It's about a quarter to 7 a.m. You know, we started about 7.40 a.m. at my high school, and I was in my office just checking email. He was in early. He just comes in, knocks on the door. It was just me in the office, and he says, hey, how are you? I'd like to uh, give this to you. I just found it. I want to make sure it gets right back to the rightful owner, and he places on my desk, Mike, a $100 bill. This is a true story. And I look at this kid and I, <laughs> I just chuckle because like, wow, I, I didn't know the kid well. You know, he was in 10th grade at the time. And I thought, wow, what integrity for this kid to come to his high school at, you know, 20 to 7 in the morning, finds a $100 bill on the floor and without hesitation came right to the principal's office. And I told that kid on the spot, you know, when it's time for you to go to college, I will write a letter of recommendation for you because I'm going to write about this story. And the story is not going to repeat whether or not you're academic. And he was, this kid actually was extremely uh, academic. It's not going to talk about how many activities you were part of. And he was one of those kids that was very immersed in everything we offered again in the classroom and beyond. But this story is going to give a rep additional insight into your integrity, what a great person you are and all of that great stuff. And so I did. Right. So <laughs> this is not to say that everyone should find a hundred dollar bill and pretend you want to give it back to the rightful owner. But I think it's important when people write a recommendation letter students on your behalf that they write about something, again, that's not easily found on your transcript or your activity sheet. So what does that mean? If you're part of a club and you started an, an initiative within that club, maybe it was a fundraiser, maybe it was, you know, tutoring younger children throughout a certain program, whatever it is. When you ask that advisor or that teacher to write the letter for you and they say, yes, they'll do it, it doesn't hurt just to ask if they wouldn't mind emphasizing whatever it is that you did to make that club better, whatever it was that you did to contribute to your community, because that's the kind of thing that admissions reps, they're looking for. Again, number one, they're looking at your transcript. And if you submit scores, yes, they're looking at those two. Okay, because they want to make sure that you can handle the work. If they accept you and you can't handle the work, they didn't do their job and they set you up for a difficult situation. Right. Activity sheet, all the great things that you did outside of the classroom, because they want to know what kind of community member are you going to be? What kind of classmate are you going to be? What kind of roommate are you going to be? How are you going to immerse yourself in everything that XYZ University offers? And frankly, how are you going to make it better? How are you going to contribute? So. The recommendation letters, if there's something that happened and you could ask the teacher to write about that, what's the worst that they're going to say? No? Okay. Well, I, what I say back to that is every question that you don't ask is a no anyway. So you might as well. But again, Mike, it goes back to really understanding what you control. The transcript, the essay, the activity sheet. How do you put it together so that you create the best marketing package? And I forgot to mention earlier, and I'm going to just mention it really quick, the supplemental essay. The supplemental essay, what happens is students spend so much time on the general essay, they say, oh, this school has a supplemental, oh, what a pain in the neck, and they just kind of rush through it. Huge mistake. The supplemental essay is asking you basically to demonstrate your understanding of the institution how you see yourself on that campus, why you see yourself in a particular program or what have you. And again, how do you uh, plan on contributing? I'll tell a quick, quick story and then I'll shush, Mike. I'm sorry I'm going so long, but it's important, I think, for the listeners. 
the representative from Cornell University, Ian Shackner. He's actually been on the show twice already. He's phenomenal. And I think he did a great job in explaining just that, that when you write the supplemental essay, be mindful of demonstrating your understanding of that particular institution. The supplemental is not an essay where you write one for Cornell and you're going to erase Cornell and now write it for UCLA. And then you're going to erase that and you're going to write it to Tulane. And, you know, you pick your college or university throughout the country. So he gave an example. If someone writes in their supplemental that they want to come to Cornell, you know, and he is in admissions in their ILR program. And you want to talk about the fact that you want to double major and you give all the reasons why you would double major. Well, that's fantastic, except our program doesn't offer that. So you see, it's really important to, again, be mindful of all these different parts, what they mean, and how do you show off the best version of yourself with each of them. Yeah. And the supplemental essays, I highly recommend taking advantage of it. Some of them are only 250 words, right? Some are right. a little bit longer, 500 words, but in, in my son just went through it and you're probably going to validate this. You don't want to talk about what you just talked about in the essay. They're looking for something different. They're looking for something, how you can stand out, how you can make a difference, how you can impact that university when you're on campus. So definitely the supplemental essays. I want to get into a little bit, this is a two-part question, financial aid, right? So first, as a principal, are you recommending all your students and parents apply for FAFSA? Absolutely. You know, regardless of what it is that you make, you know, and um, I'll give an example of myself. I really haven't gotten much financial aid, but, you know, we're having trouble this year with the FAFSA. I'm still in the process of, you know, filling it out for my daughter who's still in college. So the answer is absolutely fill it out. You never know. And so it, it couldn't hurt you, right? If you don't fill it out, you're not going to get anything for sure. If you fill it out, you never know. And you never know if some people might even use it, you know, for some kind of a merit scholarship or something. So I, I always recommend to just fill it out. No question. Absolutely. And this is the first time, John, you're going to say, wow, you didn't do it for your first two kids. Because first, I always heard FAFSA was hard to fill out. This year, it got a little bit easier. It was really easy to fill out, but now they're taking a longer process. I don't care how much <laughs> it takes. I don't care if I get $500. I don't care if I get $1,000. I told my uh, son and I told my wife, I want to just prove a point that every parent should fill it out, right? right? It doesn't matter. You might be making X amount of money, but it's what you can afford to pay. That's what they're looking at. So highly recommend filling out FAFSA. Now I'm going to lead to my second point. Now that some of these letters are coming out of acceptance, financial aid packages are coming out, scholars programs, honors programs. Does this work or does this not work? Let's say you got $10,000 from X university mm -hmm. and you know that maybe there was a scholars program where it was up to three, six unweighted. And the next level might be three, seven and higher where you can get 10,000 to 20,000. You kind of mentioned it because it's all about life skills. If you don't ask, you shall not receive. You're always right. going to hear no. How often do you find that parents, kids, students are reaching back out to institution and asking, I really want to go to this school. Is there anything else I can potentially get? Right. It's like a job. I get here's your offering package, but I would like a little more. But you have something to stand by it. Right. Maybe you just missed the qualification for our honors or president scholar program. Let's talk about going back to the missions and saying, can I get a little additional help? Because that might help me in my decision making process. Yeah. So it's not a topic that I bring up often in my podcast episodes and, you know, the specific question that you're asking. But absolutely, again, every question that you don't ask is a no. So especially if you have financial aid packages from two, three institutions, but the one school that you really want to go to, they gave you something, but you were hoping for, you know, a little bit more of that piece of the pie. Absolutely. Put something together and ask the question. They're not going to turn around and say, you know what, you asked this question, so now we're going to deny you. That's not going to happen. The worst thing that's going to happen, the absolute worst thing that they're going to happen is they're going to say, we reviewed it. There's nothing more we can do. And they might even say, we apologize, right? And they'll, they'll be really polite about it. If you don't ask, the answer is a definite no, 
right? But in many cases, not in a lot, but in many cases, you might get something, you know, you might get, like you said, Mike, maybe it's $500, maybe it's $1,000, maybe it's a little bit more, whatever it is, you know, if, if it's important to your family and the financial aid conversation is important to so many families, you know, it's certainly worth asking. Not making any promises at all, because, you know, that's the difficult thing of the college admissions process today with things like the Common App, which really streamlined the process and school uh, students could easily, you know, apply to 12, 15 schools. You know, the colleges don't know who's for real or not. Yes, they have yields. Yes, they have very smart people at their institutions, you know, determining those yields. But it's getting harder because more and more students are applying. In fact, you know, I'm hearing stories where, you know, colleges are reaching out to students that applied early action and they say, well, if you change your status from early action to ED, which means if we accept you, it's binding and you're coming in, you know, would you do that? Uh, because some schools, you know, really don't know how many of the students that are, you know, uh, were accepted are coming in. So all of that to say, going back to your question in terms of financial aid, I think the problem nowadays is that there are so many students that are willing to take whatever package was given, you know, or frankly, maybe even pay more than you're paying because maybe they got a lesser package than you, that, you know, it's allowing the schools to be to say no more often, you know, in terms of whether or not they could reconsider giving more money towards financial aid. So it's um, it's very complicated, you know, which is why I love having these conversations, because we could talk about all these things. People could hear it, digest and frankly, you know, come up with their own questions to ask when they visit campuses or when they see a rep at a college fair or when they visit, you know, your high school. And I did not tee this up. This was actually going to be leading to my next question. <laughs> I just got back from visiting Miami University and Indiana University. And I've done a little clips and I've told parents as well as students, have you registered for the student midday? Have you registered for a college campus visit in the spring, February, March, April? And prior to going, what meetings have you set up on your own? And then when you get there, what questions are you going to ask? So let's talk about visiting campuses in the next couple months as seniors, class of 24, are making their decisions. What are some questions students should be asking to determine if this school is the right fit for them or not? Absolutely. There are so many. There really are. I mean, we could do, you know, 10 podcast episodes on questions to ask. You know, but we'll talk about a few things. You know, first of all, if you're going to school out of state, you want to make sure that that school is not a commuter school. In other words, you want to make sure that students stay on campus and there's a lot of activities, you know, after class, on the weekends and what have you. So a good question to ask very simply, very simply is, is this a commuter school? Then you want to make sure, obviously, to have your major, your minor, but more importantly, housing. A lot of times when you go on these tours, they talk about the freshman dorms or what's available to freshmen. A good question to ask is, you know, do you guarantee on campus housing, for example, for all four years? That's something that is very important. Faculty to student ratio. What is it? But is it the same all four years? I went to a college where in my freshman year when I was taking core courses, it was common for me to have 250, 300 people in a lecture hall. But then in my third and fourth years, I literally had about 15, 20 people in each class. So ask questions like that, you know, and really anything that's important to you, don't be bashful. You know, if you're a student that wants to know about, frankly, the party life, ask it, you know, and the advice that I give parents and students in terms of when you visit, and by the way, you should visit. Okay, and I know that a lot of people can't visit before you apply. Number one, it might be financial, but also if it's not financial, if you have the means, think about it. It's really difficult to plan around everybody's schedule, particularly if you want to go to a school while it's in, in session. But the one thing that I caution students and their parents when you visit, and I remember doing it with my own daughters, we had such a great time. We went on the tour, we asked our questions, we sort of took the dorms you know then we went to a nice lunch or a nice dinner off campus and we talked about our impressions and everyone had a great time and we drove home together what you need to do is be aware of that false sense of comfort you know it's very nice to go visit with your family 
Number one, to parents, give your child at least an hour on campus on their own. Have them go sit on a bench. Have them speak to random students. Have them go eat in the dining hall because there's that false sense of comfort when you're on campus with family members. You, you know, you, you're happy, you feel safe, but you have to give the student the opportunity to really realize, hey, do you see yourself here for four years without mom and dad, without your sister, without your brother, whoever it is that's there on the uh, on the tour? So that's really, you know, some of the pieces of advice that I would give. That's the one I love to always give. Have your student just walk around the campus and ask themselves, can they see themselves there for four years, right? Because it's their decision. It's not mom and dad's decisions. I tell a lot of parents this all the time. I go, you're not going to college. I go, they're going to college. Now, with having my third son, I can say that because with the first and second, I kind of was like in the process, involved, and I'm truly out of the process. <laughs> I'm there more. He goes, he literally came back and said, I wish I kind of didn't like Miami of Ohio. He goes, now they're number three on my list. Now, right? It just makes the whole process a lot harder. So I go, you'll be fine. You have until May 1st. There's a reason why there's a May 1st deadline. You don't need to submit and, and accept that acceptance right here in January, February, or March. As we wrap up, I love to ask this question to a lot of my students and parents. If you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? <laughs> right? What to do, what not to do. You're talking to admission counselors. You see parents, you see students. What advice, what tips would you give them as they go through this admissions process? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity, Mike. And uh, it's been so much fun. I really appreciate it. And that's a great question. So the first thing that I would remind students and their parents is that there are over 4,000 4,000 colleges and universities within the United States alone. There is definitely more than one school for each and every one of you students, but not every school is for you. So what I want everyone to consider is be mindful of the fact that even if a school is on the top 20 ranking list, right? But if that school happens to be in an urban environment and you want to be in a rural environment or vice versa, you know, if, if, if that environment is in a location that you don't want, it doesn't matter that mom went there. It doesn't matter that your friend is applying. You have to find the right fit for you. And you have to be honest with your parents and yourself throughout the process. Do you want to go away? Okay. Do you want to be within two hours driving distance? Are you okay to take an airplane ride across the country? Whatever it is, that's what you need to consider. How big do you want the school to be? Do you want to go to a school that has 40,000 plus students or do you want something smaller somewhere around the 5,000 range? What is the right fit for you? Don't look at where your friends are going, right? Because what's right for them might not be the right fit for you. It's not about where a family member went because again, it might not be for you. But you have to really ask all of these questions of yourself to really determine you know, what is the right fit for you? Quick story, and then I'm going to end, Mike. My own daughters, the first one, she thought she wanted to go to one of the big, big rah-rah schools, you know, like a big tent school. And I got to tell you, I had the greatest time visiting. It was so much fun because if I could do it all over again, and unfortunately I can't, that's what I would want because, you know, I grew up in a city. I love being around people. I've always been outgoing. I'm not afraid of the big crowds and what have you. My daughter, who grew up in a suburb, went to see these big tent schools. And one school in particular, I won't mention it, but most of them are all on the podcast, by the way. They were in session. And we literally walk into a lecture hall and my daughter turns to me and says, Dad, what is this? And what she was referring to was the big auditorium, probably with about 300 people in it, but there was about 12 students in the lobby sprawled out on the floor <laughs> listening to the lecture, <laughs> either because they were late, there was no seat, or frankly, that's just where, you know, they wanted to lay down. So I explained to her, I said, well, you know, these are probably freshmen. This is probably, you know, freshman classes. They're taking their core curriculum and this is what it is, you know? And she was like a deer in headlights. She also didn't like the fact that that particular school was over six hours, you know, from my house in terms of the drive. So 
initially thinking she wanted Big Ten, which dad wanted for himself. I mean, that, that would be amazing. She ended up in a smaller Jesuit school, you know, about an hour and a half from the house driving distance. So she went from one extreme to the other. But I say this because she absolutely picked the right school for herself. She loves it there so much that she graduated last year and she's actually still there doing graduate work. So the point is, is that you need to enjoy the journey, enjoy the process. I, to this day, when I think about visiting that particular school, I smile because we had such a great time doing it, even if it led to the fact that my daughter determined for herself that the right fit for her was to be in a suburb, to be about, you know, within two hours from home. And she wanted smaller, you know, about 8,000 students, right? So she found the right fit for her. So I share that story because that's what I want for everyone out there. You know, don't just look at what mom and dad, where mom and dad went or family member went. Don't just look at where your friends are replying. You know, it's cliche, but finding that right fit for you is the number one thing that you have to uh, find out throughout this process. You nailed it. You hit it right on the dot. And if you're from New York, she was probably looking at Penn State. (laughs) (laughs) You nailed it, Mike. You nailed it. (laughs) Okay. Not that we want to bash on Penn State at all, but I love Penn State. (laughs) My daughters got accepted to Penn State. We flew out there. It took forever to get there because we got stuck in a rainstorm in Philadelphia. We had a drive. And then I'm like, why are we driving three hours to this campus? Beautiful campus, Happy yep. Valley, football Absolutely. stadium, the ice cream store. I'm like, <laughs> right? We were then, there. Googling it like, da-da-da-da. Da 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 We are Penn State. He's looking at all these videos, but then they don't have like the sorority houses, they're all in the dorms. And then he's looking at what they do. And he's like, do you know, in the winter, like people just beat themselves up because they're so bored. They don't know what to do. They're all smart. Like we know people that they're having a great time there, but I think you have to be a right fit. I mean, from California, I said, Joshua, that is a, that's far to get to <laughs> as compared to some of these other schools. I mean, you can do, and, and I talk about this a lot, one-stop colleges and people are like, what is a one-stop college? It's a direct flight. And then all you got to do is hop in the car and drive somewhere. You don't have to. Madison's so hard to get to. My daughter calls. She goes, I hate flying back to school. I hate flying. Things <laughs> get canceled. But great stories. We, You're going to definitely come on again because I've had Sean Bolton. I'm there and there. Shout out to him. Principal at Newport Harbor. <laughs> because principals give a different perspective. Right. You're hearing it. You see it from the students. You see it from the parents as well as the admission counselors. That's why I have my podcast. Real raw stories from the students perspectives. Right. Not the hi, I'm the regional counselor and this is all (laughs) all raw, raw. Come to the welcome student of midday, whatever it might be. But Don, it's been great having you on a timely episode. I wish you the best of luck with your podcast. And I would love, I'm going to start listening to more because I might have to get some referrals, right? If you don't ask, (laughs) get some counselors to come on. I would love to come on your podcast, talk about some of the stories we hear about. But thank you. Fonger News of the Student Manager, out.